Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. Organizing things on the desk here. I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're going to be all right. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ and... This is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually open up God's Word. You've heard of this thing? It's called a Bible. You can open them up or you can turn them on. It doesn't matter. That's the idea. You open them, turn them on. And then we do this. We compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that would be teaching, that is put forward for consumption by Christians is, well, far from what God's Word says. Like, ridiculously far. People aren't even trying hard anymore. They have no clue how to read their Bibles. It's like a strong delusion has settled in on people's minds because they refuse to believe in the truth, you know, things like that. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Boy, I hate to go back over this topic. So it turns out that there are now some people on YouTube that are looking at the death of Billy Graham and like literally getting ready for the rapture. Uh, Did you know that there was exactly 40 days from the day that Billy Graham died and Easter this year. Yeah, and apparently that means something. So we're going <laughs> to kind of do a doom and gloom twin spin, if you would. So we're heading over to the YouTube channel of Samantha White, and she's going to explain to us how this this is, oh, man, rapture like any day now. I mean, it's this is it's got to be God that's all over this, man. Then we're going to head to the Jim Baker show, and... um. The, this is put out on their YouTube channel. So, I mean, this wasn't put out by a critic. 
This was put out by Jim the Jim Baker show, and you can find this on their YouTube channel, published on March second. April could shake the world. I don't know who April is, um, but she's gonna shake. <laughs> Yeah, you see what I did there. Okay, so yeah, so literally Jim Baker's creating the expectation that, oh man, something, something big. It's going to shake the world in April. And we're going to note that he's already uh, given us a failed prophetic warning about a North Korean terrorist attack that was supposed to take place at the Winter Olympics. Uh, Did you notice that there were no North Korean uh, terrorist attacks at the the 2018 uh, Winter Olympics in Pyongyang. Um, nope, that hasn't happened. And by the way, I gotta admit, I have been so busy. I am not done yet watching the coverage from the Pyongyang 2018 Winter Olympics. It, I probably be watching Winter Olympics until July or August at this point. That tells you how little time I have to watch television. Anyway, so then we're going to steer into the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And we're going to note that Patricia King has uh, jumped into the biblical feasts game. And she's invited Kurt Landry onto her um, Everlasting Love program to discuss the biblical feasts. And I get the feeling we're probably going to have to put some kind of a resource out to warn people, not in this episode, but in the days to come regarding Larry and Tiz Huck's Passover pilfering scheme. Uh, But uh, that's for another episode. I'm just thinking out loud here. Uh, Then we're going to head over to the so-called fire and glory outpouring as uh, Miranda Nelson takes the stage to bring us a Holy Spirit-inspired message of some kind. (laughs) You might want to assume the crash position when we get to that segment. I'm just saying. And then to uh, round out our number one, we're going to be uh, listening to Todd White. Todd White. And uh, uh, audio from two appearances that he's uh, made on TBN where he talks about how the cross apparently reveals your value. And we're going to note here that um, that this is a popular teaching that a lot of people are feeling Oh, man, I must really be worth something because Jesus died for me. And we're going to note that not only is his logic earthly logic, but there are biblical texts that say very different than what he's saying. So the question, I'll kind of throw it out on the table right now. What is the reason why Jesus died for you? Is it because you're worth it? Or is there a different reason? So I hope you pay attention to that. We'll uh, be spending some time in the biblical text as well as listening to uh, Todd White wax eloquent, if you would. But, uh, yeah, it's far from eloquent. And then we're going to head down to Arise Church in uh, New Zealand as we listen to Jillian Cameron talk about how God wants you to dream a God dream. Yeah, I'm not making this is just the nonsense that is filling so many Christian pulpits nowadays. People have no clue how to hear the Word of God anymore. Anyway, so that's what we're going to be doing for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground to cover, so let's do this. Amen. 
So we're heading over to the YouTube channel of Samantha White as she is going to explain to us the prophetic significance of the fact that Billy Graham's death occurred exactly 40 days before Easter and how this has something to do with God confirming stuff that could potentially be connected to the rapture and things. Here we go. Hi, brothers and sisters. I hope everyone's having a blessed day in Yeshua. Well, these uh, interesting connections with Billy Graham just never, never stop. And um, I have some things I want to share with you. This was super encouraging to me. And I just have a feeling that it will be encouraging to you, too. So, all right, let's get into it. I made this video a few videos back now about Prophecy Alert even more on Billy Graham and Graham Lotz and the rapture. So I got a wonderful comment way, 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 way down in the um, the comments here. I'm going to keep scrolling till I find it. Mm-hmm. She's on her YouTube channel searching through the comments section because of a wonderful comment she received. Okay. I highlighted it, so I it'll pop up. It's way down there. Okay. So this comment says, I have known Anne and the Graham family for many years. My husband and Anne's husband, Danny, were very close friends. I was in Anne's Bible study for six years in the early 1980s. She is a wonderful teacher. She has believed and spoken for many years about how she felt that when her daddy would pass away, it would be a sign of the end times. So. Oh, yes. I mean, since Anne Graham Lotz felt that, it, it's got to be true. And it was left on, in, on you know, a comment in, on YouTube. So, I mean, I mean that's, that may as well be the Bible. All right. Yet Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. Just say it, you know, just, you know, I think Jesus knew what he was talking about there. Here's the other thing. I got another comment and this comment was about how Billy Graham died exactly 40 days before Easter. And I don't know that I've really heard anybody else say that. Um, Easter this year is on April Fool's Day, which is April 1st. And I just thought, wow, you know, what what is the biblical significance of the number 40 in the Bible? So See, I mean, you know, the children of Israel, they were 40 years in the wilderness. They did Jesus, you know, fasted for 40 days and and the 40s big deal. I mean, so, you know, because Billy Graham died 40 days before Easter. <gasps> Pay attention, folks. We've cracked the code. The rapture is about to happen. Here's some information. The meaning of numbers, the number 40. 
Mentioned 146 times in scripture, the number 40 generally symbolizes a period of testing, trial, and probation. During Moses' life, he lived 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in the desert before God selected him to lead his people out of slavery. Moses was also on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights on two separate occasions, receiving God's laws. Okay, so here we are, 40 symbolizing a period of testing, trial, or probation. <sighs> Moses was also on Mount Sinai for 40. I think that was her version of the yummy sound. Days and nights on two separate occasions receiving God's laws. Anne Graham Lotz, when she, oh, she prophesied at her daddy's funeral about how Moses... At the death of Moses, then Joshua came and led the people into the promised land. And Joshua is like a type of Yeshua. Joshua, Yeshua, they sound almost identical. And, you know, here I see that, you know, this number 40 and how, you know, he was going to lead the people out of slavery I'm sorry. I'm just taken aback by this. Okay, the prophet. She's she's really emotional about this. I mean, this this has really got her prophetic juices flowing. Jonah so powerfully warned ancient Nineveh for 40 days that its destruction would come because of its many sins. The prophet Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days to symbolize Judah's sins in Ezekiel 4. So apparently, you know, Billy Graham was like this generation's Moses or something. And yet I would note, um, as I have already, that uh, nowhere in Scripture are we told by Jesus that Billy Graham or the death of a prominent evangelist would signal the, uh, you know, the imminent return of Christ. Nope. What Jesus warned us about regarding his imminent return was the rise of false prophets performing false signs and wonders. He's just saying, you know. Elijah went 40 days without food or water at Mount Horeb. Jesus was tempted by the devil not just three times, but many times during the 40 days and nights that he fasted just before his ministry began. Jesus also appeared to his disciples and others for 40 days after his resurrection from the dead, which is what is celebrated at Easter. Yeah, yeah, I'm fully aware of the, you know, uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. And then I forgot to... Oh, my gosh. Ah! Oh, oh, man. Can't you just feel the prophetic buzz in the air? Ah! Billy Graham died 40 days exactly before Easter this year. Oh. This green thing. He also sent spies for 40 days to investigate the land God had promised the Israelites as an inheritance. We have been promised our blessed hope. And I, I just feel like that is that is part of our inheritance from the Father, is our blessed hope is the rapture of the church, which is what exactly what Anne Graham Lantz prophesied about when she read those scriptures out of Thessalonians. Oh, my gosh. Wow. This is amazing. Woo! 
And Graham Lotz gave a prophecy. Oh, it's got to be true. Number 40 can also represent a generation of man. Because of their sins after leaving Egypt, God swore that the generation of Israelites who left Egyptian bondage would not enter their inheritance in Canaan. The children of Israel were punished by the by wandering the wilderness for 40 years before a new generation was allowed to possess the promised land. Jesus, just days before his crucifixion, prophesied the total destruction of Jerusalem. Forty years after his crucifixion in 30 AD, the mighty Roman Empire destroyed the city and burned its beloved temple to the ground. <sighs> wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it, folks. Um, cash in your uh, savings accounts and... Uh, you you don't got a lot of time. I, I mean, you you have literally less than two weeks. I mean, you know, because Easter <laughs> is forty days exactly from when Billy Graham died. So I mean, it, I it would make sense that the rapture would be on April Fool's Day. Wish I was making that up. All right, we're uh, heading over to the YouTube channel of the Jim Baker show. And uh, again, I have to reiterate this. This video was not published by Jim Baker's critics. This video is available at Jim Baker's YouTube channel, and it was published by their ministry. And the headline for it reads, April could shake the world. This coming from the man who gave the false prophecy regarding the North Korean terror attack that was supposed to take place during the Winter Olympics in South Korea in Pyongyang. Uh, but uh, don't worry, even though he got that wrong, uh, the April, something really, something, something could happen, says Jim Baker. So buy lots of food buckets and stuff. Here we go. April could shake the world. Yeah. This things are going to happen this things. Things are going to happen. Yeah, April could shake the world. Things stuff things you know could happen. Here. God woke me up. I was up all night a few hours a few nights ago. What did you eat? <laughs> I mean what were you doing? Were you throwing up? Maybe you couldn't leave the toilet? I mean, what's the reason why you were up all night? And spoke to me that it's later than people think. You don't know. You can't, you can't just say, well, I believe this. I, you you got to know what the word says. You, mm, you got to know. got to know what the word says. got to know. Yeah, the, the word doesn't say anything about April of this year. Me. Yes. Because it's it's going to be suddenly. Oh, no. Whatever it's going to be. And it could happen in April. Things are going to happen this year. But it's it's suddenly. suddenly. And things are going to happen this year. And God spoke to me. And I said, God, how am I going to make it this year? Things are going to happen. God told him, man, things are going to happen. What things exactly did God tell you were going to happen? I'm curious. Yeah, I'd like some further details, please. Income is hard right now. What am I going to do? He said, you be faithful to preach what I tell you to preach, and the people are going to help you. Ah, see, that's what's going on. 
he's in financial trouble. <laughs> so he's trying to basically create, put the fear of the end of the world in them so they'll buy stuff. He's in financial straits. Hmm. And I'm back preaching harder than ever. I'm believing God for new strength. I'm almost 80, but I'm going to live to be 180 if I have to. I'm just, I'm determined to live and not die. And you know what the good thing is about it? Is he ill with something? Age is I don't have to worry about it. That's right. I mean, so what? I got a couple years left or so. Whatever God wants, you know. Uh-oh, Jim Baker only has a couple years left. Something's going on down there in Missouri. And, and so... I'm not living because I want to build a mansion here. I'm not living because I need to do something uh, just for man. I'm living to bring the message That's that right. I went to prison to receive, that God gave me the revelation story. And the God gave you a revelation story in prison. Mm-hmm book and gave me the message to tell people to prepare because perilous times are coming. It's the harvest time and people are going to preach. All of you, you people that have been listening to so much preaching, you got more preaching. It's running out your ears almost. It's so, so you're so full of it. You're just, your ears are just. Yeah, I can think of somebody who's full of it. Weird. Uh-huh. Full of the gospel. And now God wants you to preach that. In yes, these sir. last days, we're going to be an army of preachers. Amen. That's what it Amen. is. Yeah, because something is going to happen suddenly. And April could shake the world because stuff and stuff is going to happen. And, you know, this year, something's going on over <laughs> the Jim Baker show. He looks more stressed than ever. Moving along, um, time for a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update. Let's do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the chairman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts for you. So we're heading over to the uh, uh, the YouTube channel of uh, Patricia King and her Everlasting Love program. And she's invited Kurt Landry, Rabbi Kurt Landry, onto the program to discuss... The upcoming significance of biblical feasts and things. She's decided to uh, get in on this because it's one of the greatest scams ever uh, that has been perpetrated on Christianity by televangelists. <laughs> so she wants to get a piece of that. So uh, here's uh, Patricia King to discuss with Kurt Landry biblical feasts. Here we go. 
Let's just talk about this for a moment, too, because this is exciting. You have available on CD and DVD, and they can go on your website to get these. In fact, we're putting your website right up on the screen for them. Um, but this was a particularly very powerful event. Yeah, there's some. there was a powerful event that led to the creation of this resource material. Uh, titled by the way, five seven eight seven five seven seven eight twenty seventeen fall feast, the fire of new beginnings. By Kurt Landry. Mm-hmm. All the sessions of it are mm-hmm. here and on the DVD. They can almost be right inside of the mm-hmm. feast, right? Yes, I would get the DVD because the visuals in this were absolutely. Phenomenal. Wow. Right, yeah, because this is a direct revelation thing. And the visuals that, you know, they they spent time making visuals. You got to get this DVD, man. Uh, but what happened is the Lord started warning us in 57, 78, that's the biblical year in uh, 2017. And w- at Passover, he said, I'm, I'm really going to uh, shift the nation. And, of course, we had an election, uh, and so we have a new administration. So God said in, that he was going to do a shifting. Got it, yeah. Strange. All these weird prophet, prophetic buzzwords that show up on our prophecy bingo card are spewing now from Kurt Landry's mouth while he's selling a product. But we also had an eclipse. I think it was August the 4th. Right. And so I asked the Lord, I said, you know, if you're going to do these eclipse and it's right before the feast, what do these mean? And he said, I'm going to have this eclipse pass over seven Salems. <laughs> oh, man. So you're still trying to cash in on last year's solar eclipse. It's, and you claim that God specifically told you the seven Salems that this was going to pass over. Oh, boy. Seven cities named Salem, which, of course, is uh, uh, comes from the word Shalom. And Salem, Oregon also was actually named after the biblical Salem, which is uh, where Melchizedek was from. So he said, I'm going to go after go over seven Salem's. And I said, "Okay, Lord, what does this mean? And he said, I am awakening the church to my time clock and I am going to awaken my church to uh, to have more honor and respect for God's house. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the eclipse passed over seven Salems, seven Shaloms. Mm-hmm. So, so this comes, and uh, shortly after that, we have Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, I remember that. I remember Kenneth Copeland's ministry was unable to send Harvey back into the Gulf of... <laughs> Of Mexico, yeah, they failed in their attempts there, and it came in in Houston, and where it hit was Corpus Christi, which in Latin means uh, body of Christ. Right, yeah, so that means something, I'm sure. Don't know what it means, but so this was an awakening, this eclipse to the body of Christ, to getting God's house into God's timing. Yeah, (laughs) it's Patricia King. Wow, whoa, my mind. don't mean nothing oh man okay i think you get the point but we're gonna have to take a break we'll come back we'll listen to a little bit more of this when we get back on the other side of the break if you'd like to uh email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fighting or you can subscribe on facebook 
Facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a little bit more Patricia King, Miranda Nelson, and Todd White. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We will be right back. If you're a weather warrior, it's time to lay down your weapons. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. MacGuffins. Uh, what can I do for you today? Hi, uh, I was wondering what supplies you had in stock that would help me fight the paranormal. Well, uh, see, we got here. We um, we got rock salt shotgun rounds, uh, PKE meters, EMF readers, hexes, spells, salt hula hoops, demon summoning coloring books, crucifixes, and holy water, amongst other things. Do you carry the grimoire of modern prayer? Not since it was outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Sorry. Bummer. I I noticed it looks kind of empty in here. Well, business has been booming as of late. Uh, are you going after that sneaky squid, what, whatchamacallit? Yeah, as a matter of fact. I, what, what would you recommend for tackling this beast? Well, none of the items here are going to work against that monstrosity. If I were you, I'd buy Los Lobos Ministries' latest invention. What's that? Well, it's right here in the summer catalog. It is a um, laser-guided, sneaky squid spirit homing nuclear missile. Great, I'll take one. Uh, sorry, uh, we're, <clears throat> we're we're fresh out. Fresh out? Then why'd you even mention it? Well, if you want to order one right now, I could have it here for you in about uh, eleven weeks. No, I I need something today. Well, there is one thing I can sell you. What the heck is this? Glory sprinkles. Glory sprinkles? It's what I said. Is there an echo in here or something? No, I heard you. It just sounds more like a breakfast cereal than a paranormal weapon. 
They look like Lucky Charms. They're more like Fruit Loops, actually. This is really the best you got? Afraid so. How am I even supposed to use these? Well, uh, there's instructions on the bag. Use two or three handfuls to throw directly onto the sneaky squid spirit. Do not inhale or ingest. If ingestion occurs, please see your local physician for treatment immediately. Must be 18 or older to purchase. All right. Glory sprinkles it is, then. Happy squid outing. Will Dylan kill the sneaky squid spirit? Will Chuck Pierce be held accountable for his crimes? Learn all of this and more on the next thrilling episode of The Sneaky Squid Spirit Trilogy! Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some... That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Reformanda and join the fight for the faith today. Uh, 
warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the last, well, hurricanes and stuff had nothing to do with anything. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Actually, there's three yellow buttons. The other one says become a patron. i got to remember that. It's like you get on autopilot. But anyway, when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. There's four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate after that at $24.95 a month. And then Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Um, if you would like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or if you want to do it the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to Patricia King's YouTube channel as she's having a conversation with Kurt Landry, claiming all kinds of prophetic direct revelations from God, like the Seven Salems thingy regarding the Corpus Christi hurricane stuff. And what does this have to do with the biblical feast? I don't know. I don't even think any of this makes any lucid sense. So, so we had all this happening. So then we get to the fall feast, which they have in, in these programs here. Yeah. When Rosh Hashanah came, uh, and that's Feast of Trumpets in Hebrew, it's Rosh Hashanah. It is an awakening blast. Sorry. What was that from? The That wasn't the Partridge family. That was, <laughs> that was the Brady Bunch, I think. And so what it is, it, it's like, it, it would be like the upper room. Yeah. It's a time when, and, and, you know, you don't have to keep the feast to be saved, but there's a blessing. Right. So every... So there's, you don't have to do it to be saved, but there's blessings if you keep the feast. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant. The uh, feasts of the Mosaic Covenant um, have given, they are all type and shadow. They've given way to the substance who is Christ. House of David, we've been doing this 18 years at Rosh Hashanah. We bring out two silver trumpets, according to Numbers 10, and what it is... I'm sure that's very expensive. It's a call, and it's an assembly of, of, of the people of God. <laughs> Could you imagine if I grabbed a silver trumpet on Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and went out in my front yard and just started blowing... Number one, it would hurt people. Um, I have no musical talent whatsoever. But I'm pretty sure if I blew a silver trumpet that nobody would assemble. Mm -hmm. Even if I blew two of them or five of them, you know, I'm pretty sure no one would be gathering at my house. So who assembled after you blew these silver trumpets at your house, Kurt? Then what happens is we exchange breath. There's the Ruach. There's a <laughs> So people assembled at your home after you blew the silver trumpet and you exchanged Ruach. 
Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let everything that has breath, breath praise the Lord. So the breath was being released mm-hmm. into the house. For- I've been releasing breath in my house since I first walked into it. Inhale. Exhale. Yep, there's breath right there. What is this? A new season of time and an awakening to our condition. Wow. So there was really a, a spirit of, in Hebrew, it's teshuva. It's a return. It's repentance. Repentance is the, and judgment is mm-hmm. the friend of those who de- desire right standing right, with God. Right, So Yeah, you might want to repent of this false teaching and false prophecies because what you're saying is just like, Crazy go nuts. This is this is this is not lucid. This is wow. Um, just as we prepared to be on these cameras, we fix our hair and our makeup. Uh, the awakening blast is the saying, "I want to." Uh, we have tabernacles coming up, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to redo my mar- marriage covenant mm-hmm. with you. And so, I want to get you ready before you come under that hoopa, before we grab hands, be- before we speak words. Oop. Ah, yeah, yeah. Are going to change your life forever. I want to clean you up. So we awaken at trumpets. We are cleansed at Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, because there's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Everything. <laughs> ah! I just... Okay, I I've got to jump off this because this guy is making me crazy because he's not actually stating anything lucid he's not building any kind of a case he's not building a teaching he's just kind of jumping around all over the place peppering it with claims of direct revelation and it's just nuts all right let's reset if you would uh we'll we'll do another prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate this time a twin spin uh miranda nelson and then todd white uh let's get to it here we go Get up right now. Robert Tilton, Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to the fire and glory outpouring thingy that's been going on in San Diego for years now. Um, we're, we keep checking in, hoping that they've turned things around and decided to rightly handle biblical text, call people dependent in faith in Christ, you know, and teach sound doctrine and stuff. But uh, so far, that hasn't been going on. In fact, we're pretty sure the entire fire and glory outpouring has been missing elements of sound doctrine from the beginning but uh here's miranda nelson she is just now taking the stage let's check in with uh, one of her most recent appearances there at the fire and glory in san diego here we go 
I can't promise I'm going to preach, and I can't promise I'm going to stand. So hopefully the cameras can hit the floor, because I probably will. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's going to hit the floor. Why? <sighs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I got demons in my ears. What is this? Jesus, we just want. Yeah, by the way, God's word prohibits what she's doing. You're not permitted in church to speak in tongues without an interpreter. Jesus, we just want you. When I walked in this place tonight and I just stepped into worship and I, I started actually writing notes of like, the message that I felt like the Lord was releasing to me. But suddenly, like, before anyone started singing about anything, he took me into this holy encounter. And She just got out. She's fresh out of a holy encounter that occurred when worship began there at Fire and Glory. Okay. Tell us about your holy encounter. He just, what they started singing and... What they started releasing, all three of them, Andrew, Arlene, Jeremy, it just was confirmation of what he's releasing in this place. And What is he releasing? Laughing gas? What, what exactly is he releasing? I'm telling you, the Lord says that he's releasing a fresh, holy visitation. Mm, fresh, holy visitation. Yeah, the last ones are pretty stale, so we need a fresh one. Okay. And there's a fresh, holy visitation. What on earth? Okay. And it's available to all who would step in. I'm telling you, you're going to... You, you got to step in for the fresh visitation thingy. Uh-huh. Even in the days of head, how there's a fresh realm of the visitation. There's a fresh realm of the Vuraka visitation. What is a Vuraka? Yeah, I'd like you to explain that to us, please. Just like parcel mouth here. Fresh realm of access. <laughs> Oh, because the threshold and the veil is so thin that it was already torn. It was thin and already torn. Okay. And it's not a spectator sport. It's about entering in. I don't cry in the glory too often. But right, I, I usually don't cry in the glory. Yeah, it's, that that that's it's not very masculine. I do. I'm like I'm I'm really in it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I saw so I saw I saw I just saw different things in the worship, but or as we were worshiping, but. I saw this massive, massive blue flame. And at first it was in front of me, but then suddenly while I was on the floor, my head, my face was in it. And it's your, your face was in a blue flame and you're, you didn't go full Michael Jackson and have your hair ignite. Okay. It's, it's refreshing, but it's hot, but it's his throne and he wants to, he wants to really. So God's throne is a blue flame. 
access because he already released it at the cross. The veil was torn. He already released it. But to you, he wants you to understand that it's not just for some to enter in, but it's for all who would say yes. Not some, but all. If you say yes, you can enter into this fresh visitation of the blue flame throne thingy. It's for all, Yaha. It's for all. It's for all who would just surrender. Yeah. yeah you would be surrendering to the demonic, I think. I'm pretty sure that's what's going on there. And say yes, because... The th- just wave your white flag and tell the demons you give up, and then you can have a blue flame encounter. Okay. Phone is right here. And you can step right up and you can step right in and he'll remove everything that hinders. Yeah, like the Holy Spirit and sound biblical discernment and, you know, the demons will remove all of that so that you can have, you just bliss out in the blue flame thingy. And the Lord was speaking to me and he was showing me even before all that. He was showing me that once you've... Once you've, you've <laughs> proven your faithfulness to God at a certain level, oh, I saw. I you got to prove your faithfulness. So there's a challenge portion of this. You got to prove your faithfulness. Once you do that, what, what happens once I do that? Level upon level upon level and platform upon platform yeah. of influence. But it's like. He- so I'll have more influence. It's weird because when the devil tempted Christ in the wilderness, you know, he said, if you worship me, you know, he'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I mean, it sounds like that same kind of thing that you're offering these people here. Once they prove their worthiness, then the devil will give them more influence and affluence and stuff and power and thingy. Sounds like the same temptation, but they've got to first surrender to the blue throne demon thing, right? given every one of us an opportunity in the platform, the arena that you're in, to prove faithful to the one true king. And from that, I saw him hand out this scepter, and it's a rod of authority. And it's from the place of faithfulness. Yeah, no, that's from the place of faithlessness. Wow, I think you get the point. Moving along, so here, what we're going to do now, we're going to look at Todd White. Todd White. This is a fellow that is becoming quite popular, and uh, let let me get this up. There we go. And uh, Todd White has, uh, we're going to be looking at segments from two videos where he claims in one video that the cross reveals your value, and the other one that, you know, he asks the question, how much are are you worth? And it kind of works off of the principle in, you know, in, in the economy that something is only worth what you pay for it. So since it costs you to be saved, the blood of Christ himself, that must mean you have inherent worth because, you know, heaven was willing to go bankrupt in order to save you. The problem is this, is that we actually have clear texts in Scripture that revealed to us the reasons why God, well, had compassion on us and even pity. Um, And it's not because of our inherent worth. And so no Scripture actually says what we're going to hear Todd White say. But here's the first clip 
want you to hear it and uh, so you can at least understand what it is that we're going to be lo- looking at when we look at the biblical text, at least what Scripture reveals in this context. Here we go. The cross to me isn't the revelation of my sin. The cross is actually the revealing of my value. Mm. So sin is horrible and it, it covered this since we were covered by sin, but Jesus paid a price. He covered by sin. <laughs> no, actually we became sinful by nature. That's what Ephesians chapter two, verse three says that we are by nature objects of God's wrath. Who knew no sin became sin so that I might become something. And so if he became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then the cross is the revelation of my value. See, in the world, if I'm going to pay for something, I'm only going to pay what something's worth. Like if I were to sell somebody a a house and a realtor and and say, listen, this house right here, I want you to give me, you know, two and a half million for this house, but it's only worth $70,000 on the market. It doesn't make any sense. And you'd never give somebody that for it. Yeah. Now notice this is human reasoning based upon current market conditions and the way the market currently operates. But no biblical text says what he's saying. He's deducing it from his understanding of how the market works. And by the way, Todd White recently purchased a really expensive home. Uh, he works for a Gateway Church. Yeah, it's, it's a ginormous mansion, by the way. Not worth it. And a car is the same. If you were going to go buy a new car and that car was, you knew it was worth $22,000 brand new, right? And that was the sticker price on it. But they wanted to charge you four times that. You would never do it because it wasn't worth it. Well, if something on the earth, the price that you pay for it determines its value, how much did heaven pay? Mm. How much did Jesus pay Mm. to get us back? I mean, heaven went bankrupt. So the value of a person is determined by the price that was paid for. And when you see the price that heaven paid for you on the cross, your whole life will change. Uh-huh. Now, G- now, it's true. It's absolutely true that um, you know heaven paid quite a bit for us to be saved. But the whole argument is based upon human reasoning, not a biblical revelation. So the idea is in order for something to be a Christian doctrine, it actually has to appear in Scripture. No text says what he just said. In fact, there are texts that give us the reason why God saved us, and it's not the reasons that he just gave from his market savvy reason. Now, let me give you another example of Todd White saying pretty much the same thing. This is part of his standard shtick, if you would. This guy's a false teacher. You want to avoid him like the plague. But uh, here's Todd White. How much are you worth? Here we go. The value was placed on my life was determined by the cost that was paid for me. See, the cross isn't just the revelation of my sin. It's the revealing of my value. Something underneath of that sin must have been of great value for heaven to go bankrupt to get me back. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I'm just the bee's knees. I really am a diamond in the rough. I'm, wow, I'm so amazing. Notice how this takes your ego and just puffs it up ginormously. Jesus paid such a high price for me on that tree. Mm. And when I see that, I see my value. So when I look at the cross, I can't sing that song, I'll never know how much it costs. I have to sing, I need to know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Mm. Yeah, because I need to know what my worth is. Now, what does the scripture say in this regard? So we're going to look at several passages. And uh, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 54, 7 through 8. We're going to also look at Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And we're going to also spend some time in Romans chapter 5, 6 through 10, and 1 John 4, 
7 through 10. want to give you those ahead of time, so if you want to look them up, you can. But uh, we're going to start with, why did God save the people of Israel? What was the reason why he saved them? And we're going to see something about God here. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 6, says this, For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all of the peoples. But it is because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. The idea being this, it's because God loves you. It's not because you have inherent value. In fact, the whole point that the Lord was making regarding saving Israel, it's not because you guys had great inherent worth. Yeah, like far from it. Um, No, it was because of my great love for you. And this is what we're going to see over and again in Scripture, is it's because of God's nature. It's because of his love that he saved us. Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8 say this, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And so it's not because of our worth, it's because of God's love and his compassion. What compelled him to save us? For him to send the only begotten Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, suffers under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, buried for our sins and for our salvation. It wasn't because of our worth. It was because of his compassion. God had pity on us in our sinful state. In fact, we learn that this is the very nature and glory of God. If you look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, we're going to note something here. In the previous chapter, Exodus 33, Moses asked to see the glory of God. And God basically said, no, you can't see that and live, but I will cause my glory to pass by you. And I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and put my hand over you. And as my glory passes by you, you know, you know, then I'll remove my hand and you'll be able to see the backside. But so as the Lord passed by, this is the glory of the Lord. Here's what it says in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, this is the glory of God. This is his nature. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the glory of God. He is merciful. This is his nature. He is kind and compassionate, slow to anger, forgiving, but see, it's not because we're, we have such inherent value and worth. In fact, Romans chapter 5 kind of makes that point. Verses, uh, Romans 5, verses 6 through 10 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 
But God demonstrates or shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, a sinner, an ungodly one, has no value in the kingdom at all. See, God had compassion, pity, mercy upon us. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified. That means, by the way, justified means to be declared righteous by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? If anything, the cross reveals the magnitude of, and the worth of God's love, his mercy, his compassion, even for the ungodly, for sinners, for his enemies. That's, you see, it's a revelation of God's love and his nature, his compassion. And this is really what uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 is getting at when it says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this is the love of God, which was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins." So Todd White's um, metaphor, you know, the market metaphor, oh, the cross reveals our value, our worth. I must have really been worth something for God to be able to be willing to, you know, have, you know, pay the ultimate price in the, the blood of the Son of God. I have to be so amazing. The emphasis is on the wrong syllable. It's not that we are so amazing. It's that God is. It's amazing to believe that God would send his son to bleed and die for me and for you who are sinners, who are ungodly, who were his enemies. It is because of his great love, his compassion, even his pity that he has done this, and it reveals his great love, not our great worth. Todd White has it totally wrong, backwards, upside down, and inside out, and he is narcissistically filling people's heads with nonsense. And like I've already pointed out, no biblical text says any of the things he's saying. He just thought that up in his little sinful mind because Todd White is about Todd White. I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, round out the day with a sermon about dreaming a God sized dream. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No visions are cast here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Arise Church in New Zealand. Jillian Cameron presiding. And it's all about dreaming a God-sized dream. I don't know how big a God-sized dream is, but it sounds pretty big. But we're going to note how she's going to twist God's word, fill you with nonsense, and literally create all kinds of anxiety, you know, about how, you know, you're supposed to be doing this stuff. And, you know, how do you obey such a command while not actually focusing you on the commands that God has actually told us to obey? So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Jillian Cameron on Dreaming a God-Sized Dream. Here we go. Well, we're going to have a great night tonight, and I want to share a message this evening on the God dream. I want to talk about receiving a God dream, and I want you to know that God wants to give you a dream. He actually wants to do that. He wants to put that deposit into you. He is- Don't you think if God wants to do that, that he'll just get busy and do it? 
God really wants to do that. I really want to give you a dream. Uh, this is weird. Well, if God wants to give me one, then he'll give me one. He's God, you know. Actually longing to let a dream come to life in your life. He is. He's longing for that. Okay. But sometimes it's our willingness to hear it, our willingness to receive it, that determines whether a God dream actually alights in our heart. Really? Which biblical text talks about me receiving a God dream based upon my willingness to receive a God dream? I don't know any texts that say that. You know, I, I wanted to say tonight that a dream can be many things. A dream can be many things. Of course, it can be a literal dream. It can be, you know, when you're not snoring and you're actually having a great dream and maybe your mouth dribbles at the side as you're sleeping, but you're actually asleep and uh, you're not seeing sheep. I don't know about you, but I've never counted sheep. That just does not work. Um, but there you are, you're lying in your bed and you sleep and dreamers dream. Dreamers dream. A literal dream. I believe that God wants to pour out literal dreams. But as well as... You believe that. Which biblical text makes you believe that he wants to, but that it's up to us for him to do it? A dream is not confined to what happens in our bed at night. A dream can also be a vision. A dream can also be an idea. A dream can be a passion. And a dream can be a calling. And a dream can be a burden. And a dream can be a mantle. And in all these expressions, we find what God has for us, the beginning of a God dream for us. Mm, the beginning of a, it could be all of these things. It can be, it can even be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Again, which text says this? You know, a dream can be short term. Maybe it only takes a few months in your life to come to pass. Or a dream can be long-term. It's the investment of a lifetime to finally see what God had always intended. You know, all of these things, though, whether it's a calling, whether it's a vision, whether it's a literal dream, or whether it's a passion, all these types of dreams should lead us not just to think about it, not just to ponder it, not just to have a reverie. Don't you love that word? Reverie. You know, just sitting there and having a reverie. We're not just to sit around and dream, but God is waiting for people to do things, to act upon the dream. That so God wants to give you these things, and then if you've said, I want one, then he's waiting on you to actually do something with it. Which biblical text actually say that in context? Not familiar with them. Passion, that, that ember that receives the breath, that what does it do? It comes into full life. The fire roars out. And what does fire do when it comes alight? It spreads, my friends. It spreads and it spreads. And that is what God wants to happen when a dream that is there, perhaps even as an ember, receives his breath upon it. Yeah, again, I need some biblical text for this. That it would start to spread and impact the world. How do I know this? Because of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read there tonight in Acts chapter 2. Okay, now, before she reads it, understand that she's just basically hunting and pecking for, you know, hunting for a biblical text that says the word dream. And in, well, Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Joel and where God will pour out his Holy Spirit. And it, the text literally says that uh, people will dream dreams. And this does not say what she has been saying. 
that God wants to give you a dream, but it's up to you and all that kind of stuff. Notice she's given us a lot of theology, a lot of stipulations and and told us what, you know, what God desires to do, but she hasn't actually told us this any of these things from a biblical text. And so um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read out part of uh, Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has fallen on the uh, disciples of Jesus in the upper room, uh, and people are now proclaiming the wonders of God in languages that they have not studied, and people who are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost are hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their native languages. And they were some people were mocking this, saying that they were filled with new wine, you know, thinking, well, these guys are drunk. That's how they're speaking these other languages. Verse 14 then says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judah, Judea and all who, are, who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants and those I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness. Now, notice here that he's claiming that this prophecy that was given by Joel was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Uh huh. And it's a prophecy that the Holy Spirit would fall on everybody, not just on a select group of people. And then it goes on to say that, you know, old men will dream dreams. Now, I'm just going to be blunt. You know, this doesn't say that God wants everybody to dream dreams. If I were to basically say that God wants you to dream a, a God-sized dream, if that's really what this text is about, I would have to come to the conclusion that only old men. So if you're an old man, you old men listening, God wants you to dream a God-sized dream. You see, if I pay attention to the details of the text, it's not saying the things that she's already said in the intro to her sermon. 17, it says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Then it says in verse 38 to 9, Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Yeah, the promise is for the receiving of the Holy Spirit in baptism. That's what Peter was saying. All who have been called by the Lord our God. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. In those days, I believe we are living in those days. We are in those days. God wants to pour his spirit out on us. He wants to pour his Holy Spirit on us. Not that we would sit around, not that we would just sit around and do nothing, but that we would come alight, that we would come alive, that we would dream dreams and act them out, that we would do 
acts, mighty acts. That, that we would dream dreams and act them out. That's like missing the whole point of what's going on there in Acts chapter 2. <sighs> great acts, great and wonderful acts. Why is it that at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's called Acts because they received the Holy Spirit and they were compelled to do great acts. Great acts, carrying the Spirit of Jesus Christ everywhere they went and unlocking towns and unlocking villages and spreading the gospel like wildfire. And the more persecution they endured, the more that came against them, the greater the fire that burned within them. You know, I really believe that God wants to pour his Holy Spirit out, that we are to dream dreams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you are a penitent believer in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have the Holy Spirit. And here you're pushing, basically saying, you got to be dreaming dreams and stuff. Are you dreaming? Of, you know, again, this is just a weird twisting of this text and like missing the whole point. Why does God need dreamers? Why does He doesn't. God doesn't need anything. Nope, He doesn't. He does to dream. Well, the simple truth is that dreamers change the world. Dreamers. Oh, dreamers change the world. So God wants us to change the world. No, He didn't tell us to go and change the world. He told us to go and make disciples. Yep, this woman is filling these people's heads with utter nonsense change the world. You might have recently seen the movie, The Greatest Showman. Pretty cool movie. Pretty cool movie. Oh, never enough. Oh my gosh. My red lipstick is a throwback to that because I was like, oh my gosh, that's so stunning. Never enough. I can't get enough of that song. My poor children, I listen to it on repeat. The Greatest Showman, there's one guy. There's one guy and he catches a dream. He catches a dream of how the world could be. He catches a dream of making people laugh, of bringing joy into the world. And you know what happened? He created a circus. He was the one that essentially invented the circus. But that became... Wow, yeah. Changed the world, that circus did. Wow. From, came from a dream. Somebody dreamed a dream and it changed the world. But God needs us to dream because the world needs to be changed by Christians. By yeah, um, we're called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. We're not commanded to dream dreams or change the world. Um, that's a different mission altogether. You're filling these people's heads with a false mission. You're casting a false vision. This is a false dream. Christians who can make a difference. You know, John and I believe that every Christian should come alive to a dream, that each one of us should have a dream burning on the inside, that it's not up to one. It's not up to one, but it's up to everyone. It's up to every one of us. You see, this dream that John and I had to start a church has taken root in every one of our hearts, and the dream wouldn't have lasted if it was just us. But many, many more people are called to carry a dream than just one person. You know, I believe that as everybody plays the unique role in God's plan, the church reflects the wisdom of God. As we come together reflecting his glory, carrying his dream, being dream carriers, that something of the beauty and grace of Christ is reflected in a greater measure. You know, sometimes we think of life and we, we can think that this is like a waiting room. 
I'm just waiting for my body to get healed when I get to heaven. I'm just waiting for that new model to kick in. I'm just, I'm just waiting for that day when Jesus returns and then the trumpet sounds and I'm going to be raised to life and glory. I'm just, this is a waiting room. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. This is not a waiting room. We're not here to daydream. We're here to be awake. We're here to be alert. We're here to see what God would have and act it out. We're here to carry the dream purposely, to stay alert, to stay awake, to stay aware of what God would want to do through us. See, Colossians 3 says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not talking about the future state when we're resurrected. It's not talking about when the trumpet sounds. It's talking about right now. Young person, it's talking about your life right Yeah, I know a thing or three about Colossians 3. <laughs> and it's not about what you're talking about. Colossians chapter 3. Wonderful text that talks about now that we are justified, have a right relationship with God, that Christ has canceled the record of debt that stood against us, and that we are saved by grace through faith. Paul then writes this, If then you have been raised with Christ, listen to this, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Uh huh. And these two you once walked, you must now put them all away. That's weird because Colossians 3 is all about setting your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. It's not about having a God-sized dream to change the world. You're lying, Jillian, and you shouldn't even be preaching in the first place. Now that your real life is hidden in Christ, so you better get on and live it. Better get on and change those high schools. Better get on and share the good news of Christ. In our- yeah, Colossians 3, 1 through 3 uh, is about setting your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Wow. Places to our families across this region and across this nation. Somebody had better wake up and start to move. You know, a dream will keep you going. A dream will give you strength. A dream will certainly give you direction. A dream will give you faith. And a dream will cause God to use you in an amazing way. You know, just this week, uh, I had a literal dream, and I do have literal dreams. I'm sure I dribble on the pillow and snore, but every so often I have a literal dream where I feel like God is speaking. This week I had a literal dream, and I, I saw a friend of ours, and he was preaching in stadiums, and he was preaching and traveling, and I saw that the Lord was saying to him that he was going to focus his ministry and that he was doing a whole lot of other things in his ministry, but God had said that it was time for him to focus on that. And so I sent him a text because the thing was that I woke up and discovered that during the night, Billy Graham had passed away. And as I realized this, I thought this dream is no coincidence. See, God wanted to pass the mantle to somebody else. God is always going to pass the mantle. On the passing of a saint, he's looking for somebody to arise and carry a dream again, that the lost would be won. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to my friends. So I text them, and I included John in the text, but I text them, and I said, this is what I feel the Lord's saying. And they text back and said, this is an amazing confirmation of everything that God has been speaking to me about. 
but I had a literal dream. So weird, isn't it? Sometimes how God will speak, but I trust that that seed, that seed that was sown, that I acted upon would cause the focus and the peering down to the essence of what God has for their life. You know, God dreams look different to what we think sometimes. God dreams leave a deposit. They leave something on the inside. They are not daydreams. Look, I am a klutz. <laughs> John says, I have no peripheral vision. It's, you know how your husband has sayings about you? And uh, that's one of his. Jillian, you have no peripheral vision. Maybe he's just declared it over my life so many times that it's come to be. But I was, I was with this lady who's helping us redo the offices, and I literally knocked over a drink three times in about two hours. It was really a record. Um, but I'm a bit of a daydreamer, and so I tend to get in trouble because I literally will switch off. I don't know. Do you drive a piece of road and think, how did I get here? Are you meant to be dropping your children at school, and you suddenly find that you're heading towards the city instead of heading towards the middle of Parirua? You know, the truth is that daydreams leave us in deficit. They leave us in the wrong place. And, you know, I might have got in trouble once or twice with the law when I was busy. So apparently you don't want to be daydreaming. That's a sin. She's not actually pointing to an actual list of commandments, that, like the Ten Commandments that we're supposed to obey. No, no, she's just telling us, make sure you're not daydreaming. Uh-huh. Daydreaming. And I hadn't realized that my speed, because of excitement of what I was thinking about, you know how you're listening to a great song and it's like you go faster. Ooh, sorry, Johnny. Sorry, Johnny. But, uh, you know, the daydream left me in deficit. Got a ticket, had to pay a bill. But a God dream will leave a deposit. Our lives are enriched. Our lives are... Yeah, which text says that a God dream will leave a deposit? You, you appear to have just made that up out of thin air. Increased. Our lives are better when God puts a deposit into our lives. You know, God, daydreams will rob us of resources, but God dreams will redeem the time and they will multiply our resources. I want to talk about a man in the Bible who I love from Matthew chapter one, and his name was Joseph. I want to talk about Joseph, the father to Jesus. So Mary and Joseph, we had, think of Nate. Nate, give us a wave. He was an amazing Joseph. You were Joseph, weren't you? Good. My mind's not playing tricks on me. Good. Nate was Joseph. I did have a big sleep this afternoon to make sure that I was sharp because I thought exactly what happened to John would happen to me tonight. So I was like, I had a big nap. That was right. No God dreams in the nap. All right. Joseph, Matthew chapter one, verse 18. I want to read about what happened when Jesus was born. See, somebody had a God dream. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, just right there. That's how we get a dream. We get pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness. She did not just say that, but she did. That is absurd. The, the reading out of how Christ was conceived has nothing to do with you becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit with a God dream. That is a complete twisting of Scripture, and it's a robbing of Christ of his glory. This text is about him, not about you. When you talk about birthing things in the Spirit, it can get a little weird, but it's true. It's true. 
God wants to conceive something on the inside of you. He wants to put a... No, he doesn't. Matthew 1 doesn't say that. Acts 2 didn't say that either. ...seed inside of you that will be a fruit and that will change the world, will change the world. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child within her is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph awoke, he... You you did notice that the birth of the Savior will result in us being saved from our sins, right? Which sounds to me like a really kind of important thing for to you know somebody to be preaching on. It as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took Mary as his wife. Wow, I mean that's a big step for a young guy. That's a big step. But what you see is that God dreams lead to faith. God dream. No, that's not an example of the type of God dream that God wants to give us. You've turned that into a prescriptive text when it's a descriptive text. Lead to faith. And he acted upon the dream. There he was having a nice little sleep thinking he'd sorted out his problem. He knew how to take care of things. He had decided what he would do. And then God turned up and showed him what he should do. And so often that's what happens. We can decide on our career. Yeah, see, the story of the birth of Jesus is all about you learning how, you know, the God dream thingy will come and impregnate your mind so that you can change the world. Oh, man, unbelievable. We can decide on our life purpose, and then so often God will turn up and turn everything upside down. And what we thought we knew, we suddenly no longer know. This life I live, I no longer live for myself. I have died to serve Christ Jesus. You know, Joseph was one who God spoke to him in dreams, and those dreams continually set direction. They set direction in his life. They, they were the things that set his choices What we see is that when he had this dream, he was no longer afraid. Look, I I don't know about you, but sometimes you you think about things and then you think, I've got to put myself out there. Like, you know, songwriters, they write a song and then they've, they've actually got to have somebody play it for it to not just be a song that's sung in private, but for it to really go and bear fruit. But that takes faith, doesn't it? To put yourself out there, to put your creativity out there, to put who you are out there in front of others, to serve people takes faith, that our fears are misplaced by faith. He said yes. He said yes to marrying Mary because of a dream. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that the person that God trusted to raise his own son was a dreamer. Joseph was going to be the father of his own son, and our heavenly father, the one thing he did was he made sure that Jesus was going to be raised by a father who would dream. I want to say to all the fathers in this room, I want to say to all the young men, it's time to dream. Don't just leave it up to the woman, but start to dream. Have a vision, have a dream. Let the fathers rise up and dream and lead and follow the voice of the Lord that would speak. You know, John and I, obviously, as you know, we had a dream to pioneer a church. 
We had a dream to start this church. And then, you know, it was like a seed dream. But every time you read about a pioneer, it was like it would leap out at you. I was like, I want to, I wish I could live on Little House on the Prairie. And um, you probably don't even know that most of you too, too young. I'll show my age. But I loved marrying John because back then I'd always say, good night, John boy. Anyone watch? He got so sick of it. He tells me I've got no peripheral vision. And I just called him John Boy. It was awesome. I was living out my dream. Little house on the prairie dream. In our little cottage. <laughs> in Queen Mary Avenue, Lynn. Oh, yeah. With all the people that would drive around at night. with <laughs> It was great. <laughs> Keeping me awake. <laughs> but, you know, we had people who, pastors that we respected, and they said to us, it's time. It's time, have you, you need to go plant a church. We had Pastor Russell Evans. We had people who were doing significant works in the body of Christ, and they said, you need to go and plant a church. We sought the counsel of our senior pastor, and he said, yeah, go and do it. And he released us with his blessing. And off we went to start Arise Church. But you know, it's, it's not easy, is it? But you have to act. We quit our jobs. We quit our jobs. We moved out of our cottage. I, we moved in with my mum and dad. Oh, that was fun. When you're a grown woman who's been married for seven years and you're going out and your mum says, have you got a warm jacket? (laughs) Yep. And of course I do that to my children. In fact, I have to force the jacket on them. But anyway, (laughs) you know, we had, it wasn't really that fun at first. We had to give up all our friends. We had to say goodbye to everybody we knew. We had to release the people that we were in our church and that we had pastoral oversight for. We just isn't it fascinating? I mean, her and her husband. I mean, they they have they are the quintessential examples of people who have obeyed God and have a, had a God sized dream. And so now we're learning a lot about her. Every biblical text she's touched, she's twisted horribly. But we'll, I'm sure we'll get a semi-accurate account of what they think and felt happened in their lives. To let go, to go forward into what God had. And you pay a price, don't you, for the dream? You pay a price for the dream. But we moved to the city where we didn't know anybody. And on the day that we were moving, people we didn't even know that knew we were going rang us up. On the same day we moved out of our house, five different people rang us up and said, I'm going to come with you. We didn't even know they knew. How amazing is God? But he breathed the God dream into them. And he said, you're going to be a dream carrier. You're going to be alongside. You're going to come alongside this dream. And what great and amazing friends and servants they have been. You know, that's amazing, isn't it? Arise Church had begun when we stepped out. But we see with these dreams and these dream carriers, it's not just a one moment. Look, I really do believe that God will give you an overarching dream. I do. I think he gives you a purpose for your life. That's why we do pathways. Yeah, which biblical text says that also? I'd like to see that, please. You say you believe these things based on what? So you would discover your purpose. So you would know what God has for you. You know, I was fascinated to realize that when I did pathway, what I thought I was good at, I wasn't good at. And what I didn't, you know, do was what I should do. And that's why we've got to discover our purpose because we can get misconceptions about ourselves. But, you know, when we discover our purpose, I believe that... Which biblical text says I need to discover my purpose? God has an overarching dream for your life. But I also believe that there are moments where dreams and visions and passions are ignited. And we had to respond to those in the moment. In the moment. Now, Joseph was exactly like that. Do we think this was a one-off dream? You're going to marry Mary? No. 
He was a man who dreamed dreams and God spoke to him. I want to share one more scripture where Joseph... Yeah, see, Joseph had a dream. So you can have a dream too. Yeah, that's taking a descriptive historical narrative and turning it into a prescription. But nowhere are we told, because Joseph dreamed, therefore you must dream. Nope. Dream to dream. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. After the wise men were gone, so baby Jesus has just arrived. So she's done a search, and she's, got, she's looking for other instances of dreamers. So because there's dreamers in the Bible, they've received prophetic dreams. You've got a dream, too. That's not how it works. Have our wise men, Cullum and so on, coming and worshiping Jesus in the stable manger opening. Oh, I love that moment in this Christmas production. Do you love it? And there they are. But the wise men are gone. The stable lights have dimmed. Joseph is asleep, and it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Did Joseph wait till 9 a.m.? Did he wait? Did he just turn over, roll over, and think, Oh, we'll sort that in the morning? Do you think, oh, I'll just wait to have my Bircham muesli or my goat's milk with my goat's milk and my dates and my figs? You know, did he just think, I'll just wait? No, the Bible says that that night, that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. See, when we, God speaks to us, we must act. We must act. We must act with. Yeah, God has spoken to us in His Word, and you're not acting. He forbids women from preaching, and yet you're refusing to act properly according to those very clear commands from the Lord. Delay, because I think that's why the dream becomes an ember rather than a burning fire, because we don't act. God needs us to act. When He speaks, we obey. When He speaks, we get moving. When He speaks, we do what God wants us to do. See, Joseph, he didn't hold back. He didn't delay. Somebody in this room, God's saying to you, don't delay any longer. You've got this excuse and that excuse. See, the invitation to the wedding feast has come. The invitation to serve and be part of God's house has come. But you're saying, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And God says, no, no, today is the day of salvation, my friend. It's time to receive his invitation and get busy doing what he's purposed for you to do. Dreamers are going to change the world. Dreamers are going to change the world, and I believe there's some in this room. I believe there's everyone in this room that could dream a dream that would change the world. Don't look at the person next to you and think they can do it. My friends, when... This has turned into a full-blown, nagging brow-beating on the part of Jillian here. Oh, this is just awful. Spirit fell at Pentecost. says that there was a flame of fire upon each one. It's not up to the person next to you. It's up to you. It's up to you, my friend. It's up to us, all of us. You know, I love the fact that Joseph acted because God dreams set a direction. God dreams lead us to God's plan for us. You know, obviously we're so excited about being in the Arise Center and it's coming up to a one-year anniversary of being in. And it took all of us to make that dream happen. It took all of us to make it happen. But I'll never forget that it was 15 years ago when a vision first came and we were sitting in a taxi, riding our way through horrible weather from the Thorndon through to Queensgate Mall, going to get a new jacket because it was so cold. And we were in the taxi and John just says to me in the back of the taxi, one day, 
One day, this is where we're going to buy land because the land will be a bit cheaper here and we'll start and we'll build a big facility. We'll build a place where there's a Bible college where we can train people and then people will be sent out from this place to go and preach the gospel all over the nation and the world. This will be a place of training. And I never forgot those words. And it was really interesting, the whole process of securing the land in Petoni because sometimes what happens is what looks like a great plan comes up, but it's not the God dream. Just before the real thing, the real life, emerges something else yeah something else could come and knock you off the god dream you got to be aware that there's danger you know false god dreamies could you know appear and and totally knock you off the real god dreamy thingy looks really good arises and the truth is that we as a board we came across a great option it was good on paper it was close to wellington city A, a piece of land and a venue came available and we were considering it and we were praying about it And as we were praying and considering it, there were, you know, reasons for and against, a lot of reasons against, but I had a dream. I had a dream and I was with one of the board members at the time and we were actually walking up to this piece of land. And as we were walking everywhere, there was like those signs, like not skull and crossbones, but like do not enter, no trespassing, you know, steep incline, falling rocks, all of those hazard signs. And as we were walking up, I was just like, man, this is not the place for us. This is not the place for us. Now, the wisdom of the board was that that was right, that it wasn't the place for us. But you know what happened? Shortly after, it was not long, was not long, the land came on the market in Petoni. How good is God? And the God dream came alive because we remembered the moment in the taxi. We're like, that's right. We had a vision all along that that was... The God dream finally came alive, folks. I mean, this proves it's true because... She's giving a personal testimony. No, in order for this to be true, you'd have to actually be able to show it from clear biblical text in context. She's been twisting God's word the whole time. We were meant to always be. And the purpose of God will come to pass. It might take a month. It might take 15 years. It might take 30 years. As John said, it might take 99. But God's purpose will prevail. He will use you to live out his God dream for you. In fact, he wrote it. Oh, yeah. Everyone's clapping. It's got to be true. It's got to be true. None of this is true. This is all hype. This isn't biblical doctrine or teaching. A plan before time began, my friends. Would you live it out? Would you live it out? Would you act upon it? <sighs> Let the ember come to flame and. <laughs> Let the ember come to flame. She's using her ember flame igniting superpower thingy. This mighty name. Somebody say amen. Somebody praise God in this place. You know, there's often a personal cost to a dream, isn't there? I think that's why sometimes we don't do it. Because it will cost us something. Dreams aren't really free. Well, they're free at first. (laughs) And then they're not. You know, every musician that got up here, I'm sure they had a dream to be just like Shahan, you know. So happy, so joyful. I don't know, when Shahan praises the Lord, I feel like praising. He's just got a spirit of joy. And I wrote a great song tonight. I love it. Great job, Shahan. But, you know, we can look at people like that and we can look at what they're doing. But you know what? He had a dream. And then he got to work. He got to work. And he worked hard. 
And I think this is what makes or breaks us sometimes. You think. She's giving us a lot of what she thinks, not what God's Word actually says. I love the story of a man called Jim, Jim Cavazil. And he- mm, Jim. Okay. In the movie called The Count of Monte Cristo, I watched that movie so many times. Oh, it stirred me. But then he was chosen to act in The Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson rang him up and said, Jim, I really think that you should play the part of Jesus. But Jim, you need to know that if you, if you become Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, your name in Hollywood will be dirt. You know, you're working with me, which people don't like me, and also you're playing Jesus, and some people don't like him. You will no longer have all the roles given to you in Hollywood. You're going to be on the back list. You're not on the A list anymore. You're going to be on the C, D, E list, you know. But Jim said to Mal, he said, Mal, when I was 19, I went to a church service. And as I sat there in the pew, I was doing something else with my life. But he said, God spoke to me and said, take acting classes. He said, I gave up what I was doing. And I went and studied acting. He said, I didn't know why. I didn't know why God wanted me to do that for my life. But now I know why. Now I know why. How amazing is it that a man who believed in Jesus got to play the part of Jesus? See, he came alive to a God dream, and he didn't fully understand. See, he came alive to a God dream. It's got to be true. I mean, Jim Caviezel played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ. So, this, see, God has a God dream for you, too. Come on. Dream it, man. And it's fulfillment, but he gave the sacrifice of laying down his desires to serve God's desire for his life. And who knows that God exalts those who humble themselves under his mighty hand. God dreamers are going to do what's needed. God dreams will do what's needed. God dreamers are servants. You know, how do you know if you've got a God dream? Well, I want to say your dream will turn you into a servant. That's how you know. That's the sure sign you have a God dream. Good night. You know, we think dreams will bring grandeur or, you know, stages or accolades or people to thank us or people to think we're wonderful or say we're a great cook. I dream of cooking great things, but, you know, then I'm always racing around, like, trying to get it out of the oven when people arrive. Tom's coming over for dinner, so I'll try to make you something good tomorrow night. Okay? Okay. But, you know, the truth is I dream of what I can cook and then the reality of my time constraints, eh? (laughs) No, no, I'm digressing. Okay. Back to focus. God dreams will make us servants. It'll make us servants. You know, I, I really love John's parents, Alan and Irene, because the reality is that, you know, nobody's given them a standing ovation or saying they're incredible. But I don't think that some of the God dream here would have come to pass without them. See, when John was just a small baby, a great prophet in our nation by the name of Peter Morrow, who was part of the New Life Churches, he was a great man of God who started the New Life Churches, He prophesied over John as a baby, and he said, you're going to preach around the world, and God's going to use you to do all this stuff, and and et cetera, et cetera. And from the moment they heard that, their desire was to serve that vision. They paid for him to have Christian schooling. See, it's got to be true because, you know, a prophet prophesied something, and, and, you know, and and stuff, you know, happened and things. So it's got to be true. No biblical text teaches this, but all of these... You know, 
personal life stories of people who've experienced the God dream thingy. See, you can have one too. Uh-huh. More. They, they were in church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night, no matter how busy their schedule had been. And then when John went full-time in Christian ministry with no salary, in fact, served God for five years without salary, who cares, right? If you're serving God, he will provide. And, you know, the truth is that they really served his vision. I think they helped to underwrite it, you know, quite a few meals and a bit of free board. Parents are great, but they were servants of the dream. They were servants of the dream. I believe that dreamers become servants. Dreamers become servants. And whilst we might not say they had a dream, I'm telling you right now, they had a dream. They had a dream. And when they come and they come to conference or they come to church every Sunday, they're so proud because they know, and nobody else knows, but they know they were part of the dream. They were part. They know, although they deny that it was a dream. They know that they were part of, oh, whatever of the dream coming to pass. And Joseph must have felt like that, looking at little baby Jesus. When those wise men turned up, Joseph... Joseph was so excited to think you can have a God dream too. No. Hey, no, man. I got to be part of the dream. I said yes to marrying Mary and wow, I'm so glad I said yes to that girl because my whole life has changed. I'm raising the savior of the world. Incredible, incredible. Can the band come on stage and join me tonight? You know, sometimes... Yeah, quick, the band needs to come up there. We need to add emotionally manipulative music now to the mix so that people will make a decision to open up their heart to God for dreams and stuff. Filling the dream God has may mean not doing something good in order to do something better. You know, sometimes we have too many dreams and we have to just focus on the one. I don't know about you, but this is definitely my failing. I think I could do this, but then I start thinking about the next thing and the next thing, and I've never even started the first thing. I've dreamt of all these things I'm going to do, and I haven't done any of them. We just need Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, trying to convince them to make a decision here about dreaming God dreams and stuff. Take the first thing God said to us. Focus on it. Pare it down. Strip it away. I absolutely love the artist and the sculptor Michelangelo. And uh, I love seeing his, his artwork. And what's amazing about Michelangelo is he was obviously working in a time where there weren't digital computers and there weren't projections. And he was doing it all by seeing it on the inside. He was seeing something on the inside that he then created and displayed the glory of God to every person who came around his life. But he would look at a big block of marble, just a big, heavy block, and he would look at it and he would dream something. He would see something in that block of marble. And he said, when people said to him, how did you you sculpt this out of that marble? How did you do that? Because he had to do it all at one stroke couldn't go back and fix it. Oops, cut off the angel's wing. He couldn't go back and fix it. But he just said, I I saw, I saw the angel and I just worked to set it free. I just stripped it back and set it free. What's the main thing God has said with you? Yeah, um, I haven't learned anything about what God has really actually said to me because you haven't handled the biblical text at all properly. Strip it back. 
pare it down, pull out the weeds, pull out the distractions, get rid of other focuses and focus on what God has said for you to do. And I believe then the true dream will arise out of your life. You believe it. No biblical reason why you believe it, but you believe it. We will see the beauty of what Christ has placed inside of you. We will see you soar. We will see you soar on wings like eagles. We will see you run and not grow faint. We will see you healed. We will see you whole. We will see you strong. We will see you full of dignity. We will see you living the righteousness of Christ. We will see you with a pure life. We will see you with a strength that does not waver in inner grit and in inner grace in Jesus' name. You know, with our God dream in here today, some of us might need to receive one. Maybe when you... Yeah, come up to the altar. You'll have an altar call. And <laughs> you used to have altar calls where people would go up to receive Jesus in their hearts. Now they have altar calls that people go up and receive a dream in their heart. Wow. We're new to this whole thing of dreaming a dream. It's never too soon to start. It's never too soon to begin to allow God to speak to you. He can speak in visions. He can speak in literal dreams. He can speak through a passion. He can speak through an idea. But he wants something to ignite on the inside of you. Dreamers change the world. Some of us, the dream has been lost sight of, buried in a lot of good ideas. And we can no longer see the God idea for our life. Yeah, get rid of those good ideas and replace them with the God idea, you know. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you to do right now. Not through a written biblical text that says any of this but from the woman who thinks that's what we should we should believe god needs to reveal it again his refining fire bringing it to light letting it get lifted up in our life i love how the holy spirit is like an oil when he's poured into our life things come to the surface we receive him receive his presence and he'll highlight that thing that's always been there that seed that's always been on the very inside of you and he'll lift it in your mind's eye to the surface you know what's the dream what's the dream that you have i believe that for all of us when the dream comes alive in our lives life comes life comes life comes to everybody around yeah see life arrives when you have a dream no text says that either. I would seem to think that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you know, and, that, you know, stuff like that. You know, the dream is now the life, the, the thing that brings life, not Jesus. God wants to do that in your life. No, he doesn't. Okay, so there you go. Total train wreck. A woman who mangled every biblical text she touched and filled all the people's minds there at Arise Church with utter nonsense. They didn't learn anything about what God truly wills for them or what God truly is promising them. All of that was covered up with a man-made doctrine about dreaming a God-sized dream. Bummer. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>